Welcome back to the Crash Course Podcast. My name is Craig Crash Collins, joined as always by Brandon Scott, otherwise known as B. Scott. Of course, last week we talked about the NFL draft, kind of previewed that, shared with you who we think the Colts should pick, um, and some other big stories around the NFL. This time, we're going to obviously go back and recap the draft. It was a lot of fun, a lot of great picks. Uh, the Colts had an amazing draft. I'm very excited with what the Colts um, are bringing to the table uh, in 2020 with what they were able to do. So that was pretty awesome. Um, and so we're also going to talk about the rest of the NFL as well and recap that. But speaking of NFL draft, B. Scott, uh, that is one sick hoodie, I have to say. Um, it is pretty amazing. Yeah, this is the hoodie. If you watch the draft at all, you actually saw the prospects wearing it when they would be being analyzed by the experts after they got picked. So uh, I can't take credit for though. I did, the, I did buy this off of a friend of mine of ours from ball state who actually helps shoot those promos for ESPN at the combine. Well, there you go. It's, it's pretty awesome looking and, uh, and, and I'm definitely a fan. Um, and we also, speaking of being a fan, uh, I want to thank you guys as well uh, for all the support on the, uh, Facebook live release and uh, the YouTube post as well. Um, you know, premiering our, the podcast uh, an hour and a half before it releases on anchor. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, I'm glad, you know, we have a bunch of views on that. So thank you guys for your support. I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. That's going to the video portion of the podcast is going to be a, a permanent thing. Um, it's going to be something that I want to do as much as possible and want to make a part of the podcast as much as possible. So guys, thank you for that support. Um, as of right now, the, uh, the video portion, if you want to catch it on YouTube, it's going to be on my channel, Craig crash on uh, YouTube. Um, you know, we'll have some stuff in the works that way too. And you can also, uh, get a link on our, on Instagram as well. Uh, Craig crash on Instagram. So um, a bunch of different ways. And I think last week I did forget to uh, plug all the social media at, at crash course FM on Twitter, crash course podcast on Facebook. If in case you missed the Facebook live last week, that's a way uh, to catch it this week. The podcast will, will, um, you know, if you want to see the video portion or want to see the Facebook lives, like I said, they will be an hour and a half before, um, or around, around an hour, hour and a half before the, uh, uh, podcast releases and you'll find all that out on Facebook. So yeah, thank you guys for all the support. If you guys don't want to miss out on these Facebook live premieres, um, go on to our page and select that you want to receive notifications. And that way you can receive a notification anytime that we have a video premiere and you won't be able to, you won't have to miss out on it. So let's go ahead and get right into it here. Uh, let's talk about the Indianapolis Colts and the amazing draft uh, that they were able to have. Um, started off in round two, of course, did not have a first-round pick. Uh, they got things going, pick 34, with wide receiver Michael Pittman out of USC. Uh, a fantastic pick there. They followed that up with B. Scott, this next pick, I thought of you instantly as soon as the pick was made, just because all, all the times that you brought him up on our college football shows and the fact that, you know, you, you had him as your Heisman favorite a few times. Um, so I was like, I'm this, that one was for B Scott right there. Round two, pick 41 running back, Jonathan Taylor out of, out of Wisconsin round three, uh, pick 85. The Colts got safety Julian Blackman out of Utah. Now that, that's a Utah team. 
that last year was 13th in the country in pass defense, which is really cool. Um, this is also a Julian Blackman that he would have gone higher in this draft had he not torn his ACL in the Pac-12 championship game. So because of that injury, he did, he did fall back a little bit, but he is a very productive player that uh, can play both the safety position and the nickel package as a corner as well. So very versatile player that the Colts got there. Round four, this was the big round. Um, this is where the Colts drafted their quarterback, you know, ideally the quarterback of the future. Um, pick 122 of the fourth round quarterback, Jacob Eason. Obviously, B. Scott, you and I are going to have a lot of uh, fun things to talk about that uh, when we get down to hot and cold. Um, then the best – see, you got your pick, B. Scott, with Jonathan Taylor. We both got our pick here uh, in the fifth round, pick 149 guard Danny Pinter out of Ball State. You know, I mean, Ball State just produce, produces legends. What can I say? They're just amazing. Um, you know, he ends up going – and you would have known if you watched our show last week, you would have seen that I considered taking him in the seventh round. I did not expect him to go in the fifth round. And as I was telling you off air, uh, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard were really high on him and actually spent about 30 minutes prior to the pick trying to trade up to be able to draft Danny Pinter. So they are very high on him. Um, obviously, he's not going to be a starter right off the bat. He's going to be a very solid depth piece moving forward for this team. Yeah, and he's he's a spectacular player. I'm glad the Colts were able to get him. Um, and speaking of last week's show and having you know picks figure you know you know picks predicted last week, you also had Michael Pittman, if I'm correct. I did, I so, did. So that was good by you. I think that was maybe the only one we got right. Mine were all wrong. We all knew that was going to happen anyway. Um, and then pick uh, or pick 193 round six they got uh, the Colts got defensive tackle Robert Windsor out of Penn State and they had three picks in a row in the sixth round so they had four total picks in round six um, uh, pick 211 cornerback Isaiah Rogers out of UMass pick 212 wide receiver uh, Desmond Patman out of Washington State and round six pick 213 linebacker uh, Jordan Glasgow out of Michigan. So altogether, a fantastic draft. Uh, Chris hey, Ballard. I, I said I was going to take a Michigan player with my last pick. I just didn't get the right Michigan player. Right. So you were close. So like, <laughs> if we, so you, you give yourself a half point for Danny Pinter. You give yourself a full point, obviously for Michael Pittman. So I think you get two points because you get a half point for Michigan. You get a half point for Danny Pinter and a full point for Michael Pittman. I like I said, I'm at zero points, so I'm I'm fine with that. You beat me two to nothing. Um, but yeah, so, um, a great draft and, you know, Chris Ballard does the thing that he's always known for doing where, you know, he just makes all these crazy moves, of course, you know, had, you know, traded in and out of rounds and all that kind of stuff and, and ended up with a bulk of picks, which is great. You get quantity over, uh, or quality and quantity. I mean, I'm not saying you didn't get quality guys, but you, you know, you get all those picks. Um, so that was really great to see. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, you're excited to see what the pick's going to be, but then, you know, Chris Ballard trades back and does all that stuff and, and it kind of gets a little bit frustrating at times. Cause you're like, I just want to know who they're going to pick and they keep trading backwards and backwards. Well, what's interesting in this draft with the Colts, I mean, this draft really just kind of shows you, um, Chris Ballard's just how he can handle the draft just magically. Right. They came into this draft with seven picks. I believe. Yes. Seven picks and ended up trading up to from 44 to 41 
to draft Jonathan Taylor. So they lost a couple picks by doing that. But ultimately, in the end, they came away with nine players. Nine players. That, that they, tra- they did trade back with the Patriots, and they gained a couple Patriot picks from the Patriots. And then all of a sudden, they had three picks in a row to finish off their draft at the end of the sixth round. And you may be like, well, they traded back into the sixth round, so they had those three picks in a row then. What did they have to give up? Well, they didn't give up any picks for that third pick in the sixth round. They gave up uh, Quincy Wilson. They sent him to the Jets. Uh, so that's amazing what Chris Ballard was able to pull off because you know how much he covets draft picks and to be able to have to trade up for somebody that they really wanted and Jonathan Taylor, which they, sent, they seem to do that once per draft. They seem to trade up for somebody that, that they really want. And then to still come out with more picks and more players than they came into the draft with, that's unbelievable. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I, I saw a lot on Twitter, you know, comments of like Ballard does it again and, and all that kind of stuff. He just knows how to work his way through the draft, and it, it's a great thing to watch. Um, so overall reaction from this draft, um, I said it a few times, um, and I think I tweeted even as well, the fact that, I feel about this draft kind of the same way that I felt about the Colts offseason, you know, prior to the draft where, you know, the only thing that really bumps me is the decision they made at quarterback. Um, I don't like, you know, I, now everything that I say for, at least on the Colts in from here until we get done talking about the Colts is a hundred percent. I mean, you saw the title of the podcast last week in Ballard, we trust, um, you know, and that's how I go about it. Cause he, Ballard has proven time and time again that he, you know, ha, is building a great team. He, you know, he has a plan in mind and he's going to stick to that plan rigor, you know, rigorously. Um, and so it's, you know, any, any thing that I say that it, you know, I may not have confidence in, it's all with that kind of back layer of, you know, I have confidence in the plan. I'm just not sure about some of these decisions. I would have rather had this player or that player. So that's, that's going to basically be my critique, but, but yeah, I mean, I obviously I like the decision on Michael Pittman. I like the decision of Jonathan Taylor. I mean, those are two guys that were considered, you know, first round talents and the Colts ended up with both of them in the second round. Um, you know, obviously I love the ball state Danny Pinter pick and you know, you, 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 you feel good knowing that they're that, that Frank Reich and Chris Bauer are that confident in him to want to even trade up to a guy that, you know, was projected later in the, you know, later in the draft anyway. Um, you know, I, I, I love a lot of the picks the Colts made. Um, I just am not, I, I'm not sold and we'll get to him here in a little bit. I'm just not sold on Jacob Eason. Um, you know, there's some, you know, I, you know, I, uh, Chris Simmons, who sometimes, you know, joins us on the podcast from Indiana SRN, he was saying, you know, well, Hey, you know what? It's, you know, it, it's it's a fourth round draft pick so if it doesn't work out it was just a fourth round draft pick and so you know me you know being used to Peyton Manning being used to Andrew Luck obviously the Colts were not in position to get a quarterback like that at least not this year and so the thing that worries me about picks like Jacob Eason like even a pick like Jordan Love would have been or Justin Herbert would have been I'm not a big fan of project quarterbacks Jalen Hurts would have been a project as well. I mean, not as much. Not I, as much, but he would have been a. He still would have been a project. You I mean, there was only two quarterbacks that were probably can't miss prospects in this draft. That's Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa, and maybe only Joe Burrow. 
So this, this draft class was not super deep with the quarterbacks, but we'll get into more with, about Jacob Beeson here shortly, and I'll, I'll share how my thoughts on him and everything. Um, but, yeah, overall, I think the draft was a solid one. Obviously, there's always those picks that you wonder, like, who is this guy? Why did you go with him? He just doesn't seem like he's a good fit. When there was other people that were still on the board that you felt like would have been a good fit. But, hey, you know what? Who are we? We're just a bunch of guys on a Zoom podcast <laughs> show that uh, do this thing for free. And they're the ones that are getting paid the big bucks to analyze these players, to know the fit that they are into their system. And we're just the ones that sit back and uh, complain about stuff we don't like about it. But most of all, mostly I am 100% on board I would say I'm about 99% on board with this draft. And the pick that I'm the least confident about is the Isaiah Rogers pick, I would have to say. He's a, he is undersized. And when you're, when you traded away Quincy Wilson as well, and, you know, Pierre Desir is no longer there, you needed some depth in the cornerback room. So you bring in a, a smaller guy that is probably going to be a special teams, special teamer, punt return type guy. And then you also bring in an injured cornerback safety. I'm, I'm not 100% understanding or kind of – I can't really figure out what their thought process is when that was one of the areas that they really needed to attack. And there were some solid prospects still yet on the board. But, hey, like I said, who am I? I don't know anything compared to those guys. This is just my two cents. Well, I mean, it's just like you know we're saying in, in the fact that, you know – Ballard seems to have a plan and we trust him. I mean, there's, there's two executives that I feel the, you know, the most confident in, in sports and that's Chris Ballard and Theo Epstein. Now they, two of them just so, you know, both of them just so happen to be in charge of my, you know, favorite teams and the Cubs and the Colts, but you know, and not every, not every move is going to be surefire. I mean, for the, you know, taking, you know, taking a step over to baseball for a second, you know, I'm still, you know, scratching my head about the Theo Epstein decision to bring in Alex Avila and Justin Wilson, um, both of which were rarely used in the 2017 postseason, And, you know, it was, and the, and the Cubs gave up good, you know, good prospects and good assets for that. So, you know, not everything's going to be just an amazing pick. Awesome. But there's a plan involved and that's what kind of makes you confident in what they're doing. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing that, that, you know, all of this goes by is like, yeah, you know, we're going to, you know, there's some things that, you know, there's some picks when we get into hot and cold that we're going to say, Hey, yeah, I'm not really sure. But at the end of the day, it's all part of a plan. And that's why we do trust Ballard as much as we do. I mean, Hey, look at on the bright, on the flip side of things, our front office could be run by the guys that down in the Houston Texans. True. We could be trading away Deandre Hopkins for a bag of Cheetos and uh, some footballs which is just insane to me. I, dude, a quick aside, I cannot wait to watch the Arizona Cardinals offense this season. I think it's going to be a, a really fun to watch. I, it's going to be so fun to watch. If we have a season, please, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we do. Um, we are going to get into hot and cold here in a moment, or hot or cold. I always say hot and cold. It's hot or cold. Um, and um, uh, we're, we're going to break down each of, of these picks. But first, let's get a quick word from Anchor. So hopping right into it here, hot or cold, we're going to obviously go through each draft pick for the Indianapolis Colts and tell you whether we think it was a good pick, hot, 
or a pick that we're not quite sure about cold. So let's go ahead and start with the first selection for the Colts, uh, wide receiver Michael Pittman out of USC. And I think this is a, this is obviously a hot, a, a good pick here. Um, you know, he's 6'4", he's got solid speed. Uh, in his final year at USC, he had 101 catches, uh, you know, over 1,000 yards, uh, 1,275 to be exact, and 11 touchdowns. He was a projected third-round talent, but he was the third-best receiver at his size. So you have Chase Claypool, who was still on the board, did go a few picks later to the Steelers. Um, and then you had T. Higgins, who was literally the pick right before uh, Pittman. So when you're um, – when you look at, you know, the, the receivers there at that size, he was the best on, on the board. And we talked about it last week, B. Scott, and the fact that we wanted to see the Colts get a little bit of a taller receiver, kind of get away from the smaller guys that we're used to, the T.Y. Hiltons, that kind of thing. And so it's really nice to see the Colts go out and get a receiver like Michael Pittman, a guy who, you know, yeah, he may have been projected to go later on in the draft, but he is a guy that's going to produce – He's going to be a good talent to have, and he's going to be someone that, you know, finally can give you kind of that height advantage that the Colts have been missing, um, I feel like, for a long time. They've never had that, you know, big-bodied receiver. It's always been smaller guys, um, you know, and, and, and you know, so it, it's really nice to see them kind of get somebody with size who can uh, give them that advantage. So I am all in on the pick of Michael Pittman at wide receiver. Yeah, I am too. This is definitely a hot pick. Um, you know, it's funny that he was projected to go later in the draft, but yet everybody was super high on him uh, at this point as well. You know, being 6'4", 225, yeah, he didn't run the fastest 40-yard dash at the combine, but this guy has short quickness, meaning he can get that separation. It's just not a long field separation. Uh, but that helps him right off the line. He's got that quickness off the line. And then he's also got the ability to high point the ball very well. In over his three years at USC, he was a captain, and he only had five drops his entire career. I went over this last week, but that's unbelievable to have those types of hands. And, yes, yeah, things may have been overthrown, this, that, and the other. But anytime it hit his hands, he only dropped it five times. That's an amazing stat in my mind. Um, something that you definitely need. He is an acrobatic type catcher. He can go up, get the ball at the high points. He can be, he's a, he's physical. Um, and you know, he's got the NFL pedigree. Uh, his dad, Michael Pittman played in the NFL for several years as well. Uh, some comparisons for Michael Pittman that a lot of people have been throwing around. One of them that stands out to me the most is actually Juju Smith Schuster, also a former USC wide receiver. So this guy has the ability, and I, a lot of people will look at him and say, he has the capabilities to come in day one and be an impact player for this team uh, right out of the gate. And that, that's really impressive to be able to find somebody like that at the back end of the first round, beginning of the second round, um, to find that kind of talent. That, that's really a great thing for the Colts at, at the 34th pick. Yeah, I, I definitely all in on uh, Michael Pittman. And, uh, uh, yeah, definitely excited to see what he can do uh, when he gets on the field, uh, you know, later on uh, this year. Next pick, um, a few picks later after Michael Pittman, it was Jonathan Taylor running back out of Wisconsin. B. Scott's boy for the longest time finally gets to where uh, the horseshoe gets to be there for the Colts. And, like, that. what excites me the most probably about it is the fact that, you know, you 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 might so critics might say, 
oh, well, you know, it must be nice, you know, that he had all these great numbers and was a Heisman candidate and all that stuff when he, uh, you know, when he was running behind such a great offensive line that you always get at Wisconsin. But guess what? He's going to have a great offensive line in the NFL as well, and he's going to have Marlon Mack. That duo, I mean, I've got a little bit more on Jonathan Taylor, but that duo is going to be sensational. I'm very excited because a lot of people, of course, as soon as that pick's made, oh, well, Marlon Max, you know, he's done. We're, you know, the Colts are going to get rid of him or they're not going to, you know, he's, he's going to be benched. Like, no, a lot of, you know, you look at the teams that were in the Super Bowl this year, the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, running back by committee. That's not how, you know, that that's how running backs are treated now. It's running back by committee, you know, with the exception of, you know, you've got your, you know, you've got your Derrick Henry's, um, and you've got, you know, guys like that who are the feature back and are a feature back, but that, you know, it, it's, it's two core, it's two running backs. It's three running backs, um, you know, in the NFL now. And so that really excites me to see what they can do. Also adding in, um, Naheem Hines as well. So that running back core is super strong with Jonathan Taylor. And then you go back and you look at Jonathan Taylor, by the way, this is obviously a hot take, by the way, hot, you know, a, a hot draft pick, um, Jonathan Taylor's career at Wisconsin, he ran for 6,174 yards, 50 touchdowns in three seasons in Madison. He averaged 6.7 yards per carry. He was a two-time Doak Walker Award winner. He was the second best running back on the board. So obviously he was projected to be a first-round talent. And the Colts not only got him in the second round, they got him with their second pick in the second round. So um, just incredible that he will be suiting up for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, and I'm very excited to see uh, what that backfield is able to do because, you know, we, you know, and that's, and that's part of what I was talking about earlier too, with being excited about the draft as a whole, but even though I wasn't super sold on the quarterback is that the talent around Phillip Rivers, the talent around Jacob Eason is going to be incredible uh, with this kind of talent that, that uh, Ballard has brought in. Yeah, I really do like this pick a lot, even having to trade up for it. This was, a trade-up that was pushed by Jim Ursay. He really gave the go-ahead to move up and grab Jonathan Taylor. Because one of the things that is coming up here soon is free agency for Marlon Mack. And if we look at the, the way the NFL is going now, it is a really hit or miss when you give a running back their sophomore contract. And we've seen a lot of times here recently where running backs have not ended up living up to that contract, their second contract. And Frank Reich is one of those that throughout his coaching career, um, whether it be an offensive coordinator or a head coach here now, he has never really been had a, a running back gone beyond their, um, their rookie contract. So that may be something to be, that is to be kept on the radar. Not that Marlon Mack is going anywhere this year. Um, he, you know, he still has this season and he's going to be a free agent, but this could be the heir apparent for Marlon Mack. Plus, like you said, Running back by committee is one of those things that we're seeing a lot of. Uh, people are, they do compare Jonathan Taylor to uh, the running style of Ezekiel Elliott. Now, however, he does not have the wide receiving prowess that Elliott has, but he doesn't have to worry about that. he got Naheem Hines on this roster that is going to be the third down pass catching uh, type of running back. Even Marlon Mack is going to be more of that than a Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is going to come in and be a change of pace back even from Marlon Mack. Not too much, though. I mean, yeah, he is a, a, a pounder, but he does have that speed to break away once he hits that hole. He knows how to hit the hole hard. One of the biggest knocks, though, on Jonathan Taylor is his tendency to fumble. Now, 
some of this you've got to look at with an asterisk because he carried the ball 926 times at Wisconsin. Yeah, he fumbled the ball a lot, but he touched the ball an awful lot too. But if you look at a lot of those fumbles, they came in extra yardage efforts where he was trying to get that extra two, three yards, and in doing so, had the ball stripped from him. This is something that's easily fixable, especially with the Colts coaching staff. They're going to be able to fix that in a heartbeat. Um, you're going to, you know, in college, it's do or die. When you are a team like Wisconsin, if you don't get that extra yard, you may not win the game. And if you don't win the game, boom, there goes your shot at potentially the college football playoff or a conference championship. Um, so it, but in the NFL, you know, you don't get that extra yard and you lose one game. That may be the difference between a one and a two seed in the playoffs, potentially. I mean, it's, it's not as do or die in the NFL as it is in college. Um, but this, this is going to be a great pick. This is going to be a guy that's going to be able to come in and contribute immediately, uh, mostly because he is going to have – I think he's going to have a better offensive line in front of him this year than he even did last year at, Ohio, at Wisconsin. And he had a great season at Wisconsin last year as well. And that was one of Wisconsin's weaker offensive lines uh, to date. So being, being able to play behind a guy like Quentin Nelson, oh, boy, Jonathan Taylor is licking his chops right now. Next pick off the board was safety Julian Blackman out of Utah. Um, now, for me, I actually have Julian Blackman as a cold take, a cold pick. Um, he played just one season at safety. He moved to cornerback due to coverage issues. Um, there was a lot of a lot of things in uh, you know his scouting report that kind of throw up some red flags as far as. You know, it just seems like, you know, it was a very big project that the Colts were taking on with Julian Blackman. Obviously, you know, when you get down into those middle rounds, you start getting into more of the project players, the guys you're going to have to tweak and fix and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it is your third pick in the draft. There was better talent on the board in Terrell Burgess, who also went to Utah, Jeremy Chin from Southern, uh, Southern Illinois, and they were rated better still on the board. I know that obviously, you know, we, we talk a lot you know, on the podcast about not going into kind of the prototypical stuff that you see in the draft, not going, you know, we don't like to go based on, you know, ratings, go based on, you know, what the, you know, the experts say, because a lot of times, a lot of, you know, the experts are evaluating talent on stuff that's a lot more trivial than what actually is going to apply um, to actual NFL situations. And, you know, so, but the thing is, is that, you know, like I said, you only played, one year at um, safety, and that's because you know his you know skills at cornerback were not cutting it, um, and there was better talent on the board. So again, it's one of those situations where I trust Ballard. You know, obviously this is a guy Ballard wanted, so we'll roll with it. We'll see what happens. He's got some great, um, great talent around him, and you know you've got Malik Hooker there, you've got Xavier Rhodes there, guys who can help him you know, adjust to, you know, life in a, in an NFL secondary. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic of what they can do, but I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the pick. You know, I'm going complete opposite from you. I think this is a hot pick. Um, this guy, like I said earlier, he fell to the third round because he had that ACL tear in the Pac-12 championship game. So he may be having to take a red shirt year this year in, in set and, you know, kind of, you want to put it in those terms, but 
this guy is the exact type of player that Frank Reich and Chris Ballard look for to play in their secondary. This guy is modeled after Marvell Tell, who played both corner and safety. So he has experience at both positions. He can play safety if you need him to, but then he's also capable, fully capable of lining up in the nickel slot position uh, as a corner as well. So this guy really just screams Indianapolis Colts. He is going to take some time, but at the same time, he's got a heel as well. So he's not going to be expected to take the field and be a replacement immediately. And if he can really kind of perform, this will help with the Colts in making the decision of whether or not they want to take that fifth-year option for Malik Cooker. Now, that decision does have to be made here sooner rather than later. Um, and that's a different topic for a different day. But I, I really do like this pick. I feel like this guy is going to be one of those, like, when you look back on this draft, he's going to be considered a steal in this draft because of the injury pushing him down draft boards. Um, I, I think the Colts got, got themselves a really solid pick here, a guy that's going to play very well. I mean, this, he was a first-team All-Pac-12 corner or defense back. He, I mean, safety corner, whatever it may be. He was a first-team All-Conference. So this, he does have the talent, and he comes out of a P5 conference as well. So I, I love this pick. I think this is a great pick that ultimately, in a few years from now, we're going to look back and go, that was a good one. Yeah, I mean, he comes from the Pac-12 where offense is, you know, it's kind of like the Big 12 where offense is, you know, a big deal. And they were the 13th best pass defense, um, you know, which I found out by when I was looking up numbers on Jacob Eason. Um, that's, you know, that's what I, you know, found out about Utah. So, I mean, he does, you know, there was a lot of good things to say about that Utah secondary last year. It's just, like I said, all the kind of, you know, issues that he had kind of adjusting to, you know, adjusting to his new position that's kind of thing. one of the prospects that you had mentioned jeremy chin that would have been an interesting prospect uh from in, in, from the fcs southern illinois but one of the things that stood out about him um was the fact that he played at fisher's high school he's from yeah. the area so that would have been a fun story you know you have another player from the area kind of like jack doyle but otherwise i i do like this pick a lot better all right b scott it's time the big one uh, the fourth round draft pick, pick 122, Jacob Eason out of Washington. B. Scott, you and I, you know, were texting each other back and forth when Jalen Hurts came off the board. We were both kind of heartbroken about that just because that was the guy we wanted. That was the guy who was projected to go to the Colts. Um, and that was somebody that, you know, I, I was very excited to see, you know, potentially be in a Colts uniform. Obviously, he goes to the Eagles. We'll talk about that more. Um, a little bit later, uh, just because that's an interesting dynamic. You have kind of a, two young guys instead of like kind of the older the older quarterback, you know, who's going to mentor the younger quarterbacks like you see with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. It's actually going to be, you know, two young guys. Um, and so we'll see how that pans out. Um, and a guy, you know, two guys, two guys on that roster who are used to being replaced by somebody to win a championship, which I, I like that meme that I saw, um, you know, on Twitter. But but, yeah, so we go into Jacob Eason here, um, you know, because it was him uh, still left. It was Jacob Fromm still left. So I think but um, I think between the two of them, I, I've warmed up a little bit more towards Eason than Fromm. I went – I immediately went Fromm just because he had the more decorated career at Georgia, um, you know, leading his team to the national championship as a freshman, putting up all the numbers that he put up. Um, so between the two, I think Jacob Eason – 
was the better quarterback on the draft or on the draft boards at the time. So that part of it, I like, but I am going cold on this one. Um, Obviously he's a project quarterback, which it just, I don't know. It it, it seems like, you know, you you bring in a guy like Jacob Eason, he's going to be a project. Obviously, like we talked about, um, you know, there are two surefire picks um, in this draft. It's Joe Burrow. It's Tua Tungavailoa. It, you know, next year's draft, you've got two really great guys in Justin Fields and uh, and Trevor Lawrence. You know, thank goodness this. You know, the Colts aren't having to draft a quarterback um, in next year's draft because obviously, I think the draft pool is even you know more you know shallow next year as far as quarterbacks go. Um, so you know, in that sense, it's fine. But then you look at the fact that. You know, I don't know. I'm just never a big fan of project players at other positions. It's fine. But, I mean, obviously this is the most important position on the field in the NFL. Um, And so when you get a project guy, that's what's always kind of scary to me as a fan because I'm like, well, you know, obviously. And then also the fact that Phillip Rivers um, is, is slated, slated to only spend one year as an Indianapolis Colt. Obviously, if you know Chris Ballard, Frank Reich don't think Easton's ready to take over the reins yet, obviously they can sign Philip Rivers to another season, which he's already said that he's willing to do. So obviously um, there is that possibility, but knowing just what we know now, where Jacob Easton's planning on being the future, Philip Rivers is going to have one year to mentor him. I'm just not so sure. Um, you know, that's you know about you know, just kind of one year as, you know, as, as the backup and then, you know, you getting the opportunity after that. So, you know, looking at, um, you know, kind of the numbers on Jacob Eason, um, you know, his scouting reports, I I read a couple of scouting scouting reports and both say that he crumbles under pressure. You know, obviously, you know, you know, the, the reports were, Hey, when he's got a clean pocket, when he's, you know, got the time to throw, he's incredibly accurate. Um, he's the prototypical quarterback, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, they, you know, the big glaring thing about him was, yeah, when the pocket breaks down, not only is he ineffective and inaccurate, he's horrendously ineffective and inaccurate. And that obviously is something that can be fixed, but obviously it rings the alarm bells in your mind that like, oh, well, obviously, even though the Colts offensive line is a lot better, you wouldn't want to put Jacob Eason as a first year starter with, you know, a Ryan Grigson offensive line, um, because then he might challenge David Carr for uh, this all time sack record. Um, But, you know, it's just, you know, that's just the things that kind of ring the alarm bells. Honest, uh, also, too, I kind of deep dove into Jacob Eason's numbers just because I was like, Hey, you know what? Let's take a look. I, you know, obviously I kind of had tunnel vision. I wanted one guy. It was Jalen Hurts. The Colts didn't get him. So I was like, okay, let's take a look at what Jacob Eason's numbers are. Um, you know, if you look back at, um, and, and B Scott, you can let me know if, if you think this matters or not, but as, as far as like, you know, the kind of rabbit hole that I went down. Um, but it was, um, you know, I, I looked at QBR uh, which is one of the more, you know, one of the more surefire stats as far as evaluating a quarterback. Uh, the average QBR last year for uh, quarterbacks, obviously, uh, was about 133. Uh, uh, Jacob Eason cleared that number. Um, I believe it was six games. Yeah, he cleared it in six games. He was five and one um, and, you know, performed well. And some of those games were against Oregon you know, some of the better pass defenses that he faced all year last year. Um, 
then but when he failed to reach that 133 when he uh you know failed to reach the average for qbr they were two and four now one of those performances was against utah he had a good game and you know against some of the guys that you know we've talked about you know before from that utah secondary that was very good but in the other games you know he really struggled and i kind of looked at those and i was like well that doesn't really make any sense um you know because in those games where he had a bad qbr those past defenses were, you know, ranked out of 130, ranked like 96th against U.S., you know, 96th in USC, 121st in Colorado. You know, these are not, you know, stellar pass defenses that he's going against. Um, and then I looked at it, and his running attack, um, what you know, ran for over 150 yards in, you know, two of those games, and those were the games that he won. You know, so it when you look at those numbers that you kind of, you know, obviously, you know, if, if your offense is one dimensional, you're going to struggle because, you know, that's just how it works. But at the same time, you know, I, I didn't deep dive this far. I didn't go to look at like Joe Burrow and, and to his numbers when they're running attacks weren't as effective, but I, you know, I, 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 I want somebody who can carry their offense in college, not necessarily like, Oh, Hey, no matter what, you better have 500 yards every game, but someone who can kind of take control. And, you know, you got a guy who crumbles under pressure and a guy who, if his running attack isn't there, you know, two things that he shouldn't really necessarily have to worry about as an Indianapolis Colt. Um, you know, he's, he can't take advantage of even the worst secondaries. So that's kind of the things that make me a little bit worried. Obviously, you know, it's Chris Ballard. You know, we've said it a million times. We trust him. We think he can. he's doing a great job. Um, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I obviously am not rooting against Jacob Eason. I just have a lot of reservations um, about, you know, you know, about what his the scouting report says about what his numbers show obviously you know hey I'm the same guy who didn't think Pat Mahomes was going to do really much of anything so you know obviously I could be wrong but that's that's where I land on Jacob Eason I'm interested to see what he does I'm just not sold on him quite yet all right so I'm lukewarm on this pick and I grow warmer the more I look into it, the more I think about it. So all those things you said are valid points. But when you look back on this year for him at Washington, a lot of his weapons were injured frequently. A matter of fact, so injured that one of their top players, tight end Hunter Bryant, who was projected to be one of the top tight ends by a lot of people, actually went undrafted because of his injury history. So when you're throwing to different guys every single week, it's really hard to build chemistry with those guys. Washington's offensive line was not the best offensive line, one of the worst offensive lines that Washington's had recently, a matter of fact. Um, going into Indianapolis, Jacob Eason is going to not only have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, but he's also got one of, potentially one of the best running attacks in the NFL. Frank Reich loves to air it out. He does, don't get me wrong, but he likes a balanced offense as well. And that's what it's going to be. Jacob Eason is going to be a guy, he's not going to have to put up Peyton Manning-like numbers. He's going to have to put up Tom Brady-like numbers, where it's going to be run the offense, put up good numbers, control the ball, manage the game. And I think that's going to set him up for success. The other thing, I, reason I think he's going to set him up for success 
is the fact that the pressure is not going to be on him this year, most likely not even next year. A matter of fact, Chris Ballard is gone as far to say that Jacob Eason is competing with Chad Kelly for the third spot on the, on the QB in the QB room. So he's looking to, he's looking to fight for QB three at this point, uh, QB two potentially, but right now his job is to learn the offense, get better in his passing game, to get better with his reads, get better with his decision-making and the fact that he has a head coach that it was a solid quarterback that knows quarterbacks really well can teach him as a quarterback. It's just, I think it's a really good fit. It's a, he is in a position with a team that is set up to help him succeed. And you kept saying, you know, I hate taking projects, especially at this position. Well, the thing is the Colts are in a position right now and going forward in the future where, I mean, this past season, they were bad enough to not make the playoffs, but they, but not, they, but they were too good to be able to be in that top half of the draft to get one of the top three quarterbacks, one of the potentially well, top four quarterbacks even. Um, Cause obviously as we saw Jordan love was not as not, he would have been a, a really high, that would have been a reach at 13 as, as we saw. So, but in going forward, the Colts are still going to be too good to be able to be reaching for or potentially drafting one of those top tier quarterbacks that aren't the projects. So if you're going to take a, a guy, if you're going to, at this point, you're going to end up with a quarterback that's going to need some work. He's going to be a project regardless. So why not go ahead and take it now while you know you're going to have Jacoby Brissett and uh, Phillip Rivers on the roster. And if you need to, you do have the pair, you have that backup plan of potentially bringing Phillip Rivers in for another year to help groom this guy even further. And Jacob East knows that. He knows he's not going to be thrown into the lion's den immediately. He's got the time. The Colts have the time. And you know what? The longer he's spent learning, if he does come out, let's say his third year of his rookie contract and he does really well, guess what? It's still not going to be enough to get him for his sophomore contract. It's not going to be one of these huge bank-breaking contracts for the Colts. This is a good, solid pick that has the potential, a high potential in my opinion now, to pan out to be the next starting quarterback for the for this franchise. Now, see, one of the things that Colts fans, that they have been, and we have been very blessed with, very privileged with, is the fact that anytime we do need a quarterback, we somehow manage to land the number one overall pick. And we get guys like Peyton Manning, guys like Andrew Luck. The Colts are finally now seeing what it really is like to have to go out and find a quarterback when you are good enough to make the playoffs, but not good enough to win a championship. And you don't have an MVP caliber quarterback leading your team anymore. That's where the Colts stand right now. And that's kind of where, you know, it, this is kind of a darker area to be in as a team looking for quarterback help. You see teams that have had that situation that continue to struggle year after year after year to try to find the right fit. But I feel like the Colts, uh, they understand what they're getting with Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason understands what he's getting with the Colts. And they have built themselves up to have the time 
to get him into the right place. I mean, look at what it's kind of similar to the Green Bay Packers when Brett Favre was getting up there in age. They they took a I mean, it's kind of it is like that in a sense that you know you got you're gonna bring him in to learn behind uh, somebody. So like Aaron Rodgers learning behind uh, Brett Favre. Now Jordan Love learning behind Aaron Rodgers. It's kind of one of those one of those deals and. This is going to be a pick that we're not going to be able to really fully grade probably until another two, even three years from now, which is a good thing. This guy needs to take the time to learn the game, to get better. And I think once we do see him out on the field, he's going to have a whole lot more confidence. Because if you think about it, last year was his one true, true year at Washington. He redshirted. He was injured at, at Georgia. I mean, it was just a kind of an up and down career for Jacob Eason altogether for his collegiate career. And now he's got a chance to really kind of settle in and get his feet underneath him and become a better quarterback. And I think ultimately that's going to help him succeed in the long run. Yeah, I mean, his uh, player comp when I was looking at CBS, that's one of the scouting reports I looked at. And his player comp was Carson Palmer. So obviously – if he ends up being like Carson Palmer, that's a nice solid quarterback to have on your team. That's a quarterback that, yeah, we're not talking about him in the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, top five quarterbacks in the league, but a good quarterback, um, you know, obviously had some great years in Arizona, um, you know, led them to the playoffs a few times. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something where, um, you know, it, it can, it can obviously turn out well. well. I mean, even you look at like the San Francisco 49ers this past year, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't a great quarterback by any means. He did enough to orchestrate that team to victories. Like what, 11 passes in in like the first two playoff games or whatever it was? Exactly. And that's what the this Colts offense could ultimately end up being. But he's got enough that this Colts offense also has enough weapons at wide receiver that if you do need to make a pass, they can go up and get it. They can go, they can do what they need to do to move the ball. And that's ultimately all that really matters. Look at Chris Ballard building himself a defense that is spectacular. And that's essentially what the San Francisco 49ers had. And this is he's building a run game, very similar to what the San Francisco 49ers had. All you need to do as a quarterback in those types of situations is just not make mis- big mistakes that are going to cost your team, your, the team, your team, the game. And you just have to manage the game correctly. And that's, all that they're really going to be asking of Jacob Easton once he becomes a starting quarterback, if he becomes a starting quarterback. But see, if we're building the team like the 49ers, they didn't win the Super Bowl, B. Scott. They lost. Yeah, <laughs> but the Kansas City Chiefs were a different animal. Right, exactly. No, I'm, I'm just kidding there. But, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, now, obviously, if he's competing uh, against Chad Kelly, um, not like I said, I'm not I'm – not, you know, rooting against them at all anyway, but that's somebody who I definitely want him to beat out just so I don't have to hear all the uh, Chad Kelly hype that we hear. Uh, I feel like every year where I don't know why that's still a quarterback people are clamoring for, who's literally only snap in the NFL was a kneel and who was also waived last year, which means all 32 owners, all 32 GMs didn't think he was the a top 64 quarterback because he obviously wasn't on a roster. So Jacob, I got your back on that one. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Next pick off the board, uh, Danny Pinter. Uh, this is easy. Hot take for me. It's it's going to be short and sweet. It's going to be the fact that obviously played at Ball State, um, which is, you know, I, it's, you know we, B. Scott, 
Uh, I feel like sometimes thinks he's being a homer when he picks Purdue guys, when he talks about Purdue guys. This is my opportunity to talk about a Ball State guy, so I go complete homer on this pick. Obviously, it's it's you know fantastic for depth. Um, it's fantastic, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, but obviously the reason why I'm going to call the main reason, and it's completely biased that I'm going to say it's a hot take is because played at my alma mater. So, uh, anytime a ball state Cardinal can get into, um, you know, the NFL in any you know way, shape or form, especially for then again, my favorite team in the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts is a great thing. You know, we were talking about it before we started recording the podcast that I think the last time the Colts drafted a player, uh, from Ball State, it was Jonathan Newsom. Not even just the Colts. Just the last time a player well, from Ball State was drafted. Right, and and uh, it was Jonathan Newsom, which obviously you know you know best known for the strip sack of Peyton Manning uh, in the divisional round, and I think what that was 2013, something like that. So uh, very excited to see uh, what Danny Pinter can do, uh, you know, this year. And obviously, and again, you, you know, you said it too, B. Scott, that this is a guy that you know, Frank Reich and, and Chris Ballard really wanted, which makes you feel even more confident in that pick. Yeah, I really like this pick as well. This is a hot pick for me. Um, Danny Pinter, he he has everything that you want an offensive lineman. The only real knock on him is that he does have shorter arms. I mean, but that just means he's not suited to play tackle. He's going to be more of a guard inside line player, which is good because – uh, Danny Pinter has a nasty streak to him. So if you can line him up at right guard potentially in the future alongside uh, or back up Braden Smith, but playing alongside Quentin Nelson, that's what the kind of players that you want uh, on your offensive line. Those guys that are going to go out there and really hit their opponent hard and have that real nasty streak and just play gritty style football. That's kind of what we've become to uh, know with this Colts offensive line. Uh, he's, he's got the lateral quickness that you really want to see. He is more athletic. He does move pretty well. Obviously, as I was seen in his highlight package, he uh, is one that actually scored a receiving touchdown uh, this year for the Colts. And I, I was funny watching the draft with my dad. He was watching the highlights of Danny Pinter. He goes, oh, that was – he was kind of standing out there. He's kind of standing out there in no man's land, not really doing anything. That's not really a highlight. Then all of a sudden he catches a – a pass and rumbles it in for a touchdown. And he goes, okay, I take that back. He actually did do something really good on that play. So he's going to be a fun player. I mean, obviously right off the bat, he's not going to be a starter. The Colts are not expecting him to be a starter, but the Colts do need to build quality depth. And this Danny Pinter has the potential to be quality depth for this team. Uh, if anybody goes down with an injury, you're not going to, you're going to feel pretty confident about slipping him in there if he needs to be starting in a spot position. So that, that's going to be, that's a, that's a really solid pick for the Colts. They can get him stronger. They can get work on some of the shortcomings in his game, which there's not too many um, other than the fact, you know, he's got short arms, but that's something you can't really fix regardless. Um, so yeah, he's, this is going to be a real solid player for the Colts. I, I love this pick. Now, uh, next pick off the board, defensive tackle Robert Windsor out of Penn State. Um, I'm going to go hot on this one. He was projected as a third to fifth round talent, so you were able to get him in the sixth round. Um, he had solid scouting reports, and it seems like a good solid value pick. You know, it's one of those you know players where you look at the scouting report, and a lot of the things that you know the experts have to say about him are good things, uh, which is always nice. And plus, when you're getting down to this point in the draft, the sixth round. I mean, obviously, everybody's a project. Everybody's, you know, kind of a wait-and-see guy. So to get a good value 
um, you know, at defensive tackle, at a position that the Colts needed, um, and a guy that played, you know, in that rough and tough Big Ten, it really makes you feel good. So I'm I'm all in on the Robert Windsor pick. Yeah, I am too. Um, a lot of people really weren't. They didn't see how this fit. But Robert Windsor reminds me a lot of Marcus Hunt. Now you'd be like, well, the Colts cut Marcus Hunt. Well, Marcus Hunt was also getting up there in age. But this is a guy that he's just a solid football player. He does everything the right way. He doesn't, he's not a big stat guy. He's not, he's not going to blow up the stat sheet by any stretch of the imagination, but he is going to play sound, tough football. He reminds me a lot of an Anthony Walker that is always in the right place at the right time in right positions. He's not going to, you know, cause a lot of penalties. He's, he's just going to be a solid rotational piece. Uh, does this guy have Pro Bowl written all over him? By no means. I mean, he could surprise us and be a Pro Bowl type player. I mean, look, Darius Leonard surprised everybody and has been an all-pro uh, at linebacker. So that this pick is just a solid pick, in my opinion. That uh, has the he has the opportunity to have, find himself some some solid minutes as a rotational piece on the defensive line. Uh, and like you've heard Chris Ballard say, it's all about building up the trenches. And if you can keep fresh legs at the defensive tackle position or on the defensive line, you're uh, setting yourself up for success. I mean, right now, the defensive line has got to be one of the bigger strengths for the Indianapolis Colts. Next pick, uh, cornerback. This is the first of the three picks the Colts had in a row. Cornerback uh, Isaiah Rogers out of UMass. For this, for me, this is um, a cold pick. This is actually the last cold pick that I have of the draft. I like the next two guys. Um, and the only reason why it's a cold pick is because I could literally not find anything on him. I was trying to look at, I mean, you know, I didn't look at his numbers or anything, but I, you know, went back and I, you know, tried to find scouting reports. I tried to find, you know, you know, he wasn't even listed on like the NFL draft tracker on NFL.com. So I, you know, looked for him on Walter football, which I went to for a lot of the scouting reports as well. Couldn't find him there. I then you know, did a Google shirt search and it came up with one pick that just listed that, you know, yes, he went to the combine. These are his numbers from the combine. Fantastic. So could barely find any information on him. Um, so, I mean, like I said, sixth round, first of three picks in a row. So obviously not a huge, any huge risk that the Colts were taking. So I guess I'll just, I'll trust Chris Ballard on this one, but this was a pick that I wasn't necessarily all in for. Yeah. I've already said I'm not, I wasn't on board with this pick. Uh, this is probably my lone cold pick out of all the draft. He doesn't have the size that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich typically look for at the corner position. Um, he does have some quickness. Not, I mean, he's, he's quick, but he's not fast by any means. Um, he does have a nose for the ball, but that, this is one of those, who is he playing against type things coming out of UMass. Um, I, the area that I see the most potential for him is in the kick return game, punt return game. He was a punt returner, kick returner at UMass. So there is that potential there for him, plus just general special teams as well. I mean, who knows? This may end up being one of those guys that plays with a chip on his shoulder. Um, he does have the NFL blood in his, in his veins. His cousin and his current workout partner as well is former Colts cornerback Dominic Rogers Cromartie. So he does have that bloodline, and he does have somebody in the family that is working with him and becoming a better football player as well. So you know he's got the work ethic. 
Uh, and it's kind of funny, though, that the Colts took him because Dominic Rogers Cromartie ended up being a complete bust for um, the Colts. Um, but, hey, you know, I, I want to – anytime I, I say somebody's a cold pick like this, I really want them to prove me wrong. I mean, I said T.Y. Hilton was a cold pick uh, when – he was drafted by the Colts. I was not on board with that. I said the same, almost the same thing about him. He's a glorified punt returner. Right. And boy, was I wrong on that one. So I hope to be wrong on this one as well. Hey, again, I almost brought it up earlier when I was talking about possibly being wrong on Jacob Easton. You know, we talk about some of the correlations between, you know, you know, the Cubs and the Colts as far as like, you know, trusting their front offices. Um, you know, I also thought that the the Cubs shouldn't draft Chris Bryant because I was like, we already have a third baseman in our, and, in Mike Olt, and obviously that was horrendously off the mark. So, like, you never know, um, you know, with these kind of picks. Uh, moving on, uh, next pick, literally the next pick, wide receiver Desmond pa- uh, Patman out of uh, Washington State. Um, hot pick for me, uh, just because when you look at his numbers, when you look at the scouring reports, his strengths outweigh his weaknesses. There was nothing there that showed me that, you know, you shouldn't believe in, in this pick, you know, when – you know, it was one of those scouting reports where, you know, the weaknesses were very minute, not anything that wasn't fixable. And again, when you get down to these six round picks, it's kind of just like, hey, maybe they'll be awesome. Maybe they won't be, but it's a six round pick. So, um, you know, I was very excited to see what I saw. Um, and so we'll see, um, you know, what he's able to do um, at providing wide receiver depth for the Colts. Look, this guy's another 6'4", 230 player. He uh, and everybody's like, yeah, but you know, his stats are inflated because he played in that Mike Leach Washington State air raid offense. Guys, he's a wide receiver. <laughs> if he played that well in the air raid offense, just I mean, <laughs> yeah, his stats are inflated, but that just means he caught the ball, right? That's what you have to do in that offense, and that that's an offense that features a wide receiver. I don't. I can't really understand why he fell. Maybe it's because name recognition, or you know, the, his team wasn't all that great. Um, but still, I mean, this is a big-bodied wide receiver. That's what the, that's what the Colts needed was more big bodies. They went out and they did it. That's what they brought in. I mean, by by being able to draft him, by drafting him, you are now going to potentially see more of Ty Hilton play in the slot this next year. Because think about it this way. Some of the wide receivers the Colts have now, you're going to have Michael Pittman on the outside, Zach Pascal on the outside, Mike uh, Patman on the outside. Uh, you have T- Hilton in the slot, Campbell in the slot. I mean, this is a wide receiver room that got exponentially better. Yeah, they got younger. They got much younger. But they still, in my opinion, they got better through this draft. Uh, Chris Ballard did exactly what he was needing to do for the wide receiver room. And now this explains why they weren't uh, really willing to go after any bigger name wide receivers in free agency, because they had a plan in place for what they wanted to do in the draft with wide receivers. And they executed on that to, a per, to perfection, in my opinion. So I love this pick. I think this is going to be one of those guys that ends up being a player that we hear a lot about uh, over the next few seasons, mostly because yeah, he came from an air raid offense. He knows how to run routes. He knows how to go deep. He knows how to go up and get the ball. He knows how to score touchdowns. That's what his job was the past several years at Washington State. That translates well to the NFL for a wide receiver. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely excited for that. Final pick, 
is Jordan Glasgow from Michigan linebacker. Um, again, this is a hot take for me. Again, uh, another scouting report where his strengths outweighed his weaknesses. Um, they were actually, you know, projecting him to go a little bit higher. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, the scouting reports had to say about him were glowing, were great things. So, again, another guy kind of like the, you know, the Desmond Patman pick where I'm very happy to see, you know, the Colts be able to get a guy like this this late in the draft. Um, a guy who, you know, again, you have, you know, uh, some great strengths and the weaknesses are very minute. Yeah, I like this pick too. Um, you know, it's pick what, 197, I believe, 196? Uh, it was pick 213, I think. Oh, two, yeah, whatever. It's a uh, sixth round pick near the end of the sixth round. And uh, he, he's a solid player. That, I mean, he's going to be a high-effort type football player for the Colts, whether he makes the roster or not. He can make a good practice squad player. He's going to make a good special teams player. Who, I mean, he was a solid player at Michigan. Um, I, I still don't think the defensive players from Michigan have ever truly been coached the way they need to, which is kind of funny because uh, their defensive coordinator ended up going over to Ohio State and their defense got even better. <laughs> so I, I just don't feel like – he was shown his full potential at Michigan, which a lot of, you hear that about a lot of prospects out of Michigan as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just a solid pick. You can't, it's tough to look at a, a late sixth round pick and go, yeah, this guy's definitely going to be a difference maker. Sometimes, yes, you can. Sometimes you can't. Most of the times you can't. And this is going to be one of those guys that he's yeah, probably going to be battling for a spot on the roster uh, by the end of training camp but he could also make himself a good name on the practice squad or even just as a, as a solid special teams player. So it was just a good pick because, I mean, he, he's solid. I mean, there was nothing, nothing really against him. Yeah, so um, looking at the uh, draft overall for the Indianapolis Colts, we're going to go ahead and give them a grade. Um, and for me, I'm giving them an A. Um, the only, uh, you know, you know I, I wasn't – I'm not, you know, again, you know, looking back at the uh, draft, you know, we'll, I'll reiterate, you know, I like what they did um, as far as, you know, everything else. The quarterback position is the one area where I was kind of a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit wary of, but at the same time, it was not, I'm not so wary that I'm going to give them an A, a minus or B or anything like that. Um, I think it was a solid A effort. There's a lot of picks um, that I like. I think they got some great value for where they pick certain guys. You know, obviously led by the, <clears throat> excuse me, led by the fact that you've got, uh, you know, two first round talents in the second round and not even like, you know, 33 and 34, like you got them, you know, in the more into the middle stages of the uh, second round as well. So um, very happy with what they were able to do. And yeah, another solid draft. And again, showing you why, you know, even though we have, you know, maybe a knock here or two on some of the guys that Bowers pick ultimately, you know, in Ballard, we trust. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with an A minus just because one of the positions that I felt like that was kind of a need in the sixth round that they could have, there was some solid talent still available um, was pass rushing, you know, defensive end or whatever position they go after. There was a couple of names that were still on the board. One of those being Kenny Willick just out of Michigan State. You could have had, you could have taken him. I think he's one of those solid players that ends up potentially playing kind of like a, uh, a, a TJ Watt. Um, somebody that's very underrated and then ends up playing extremely well for his team. Um, Kenny Wilkes was one of the, the top 
pass rushers in the Big Ten out of Michigan State. I, I feel like that would have been a, a better pick in place of Isaiah Rogers. Yeah, you do need somebody that can return punts and everything, but I'm, I'm still not 100% sold. So I'm giving them an A- minus just because there were some other areas of need that they did not meet that they could have had uh, some pretty solid players at in the sixth round. So we've taken a look at the Indianapolis Colts. We've taken a look at the draft that they've had. Now let's go ahead and look at the rest of the NFL draft as a whole. Um, you know, kind of giving a brief recap here. Um, I've, you know, no big surprises here. Joe Burrow selected at number one of the Bengals. Chase Young at number two. Uh, to the Washington Redskins, which I'm really excited to see what that Redskins defense looks like here coming up, um, you know, in 2020. Tua ends up going to the Dolphins. Um, you know, the uh, the big wide receivers, the deep wide receiving class that we saw, uh, Henry Ruggs goes to the Raiders. Jerry Judy goes to the Broncos. CeeDee Lamb to the Cowboys. The Packers move up to take Jordan Love at number 26. Um, and then Jalen Hurts, as we talked about, goes to the Eagles, which that kind of poses an interesting situation, like I said, because you've got two, um, you know, two young guys in that situation. So uh, reaction of the draft overall, um, I think, I, first of all, I think the production of the draft was well done. Um, you know, you kind of felt bad for uh, Roger Goodell after a while. You kind of saw why you have all those guest pickers. Um, you know, once the first and second rounds are done, because he was, you know, looked like he was losing it, gave us um, some great memeable moments. You know, you've got, um, you know, <laughs> the little graphic that says Bill Belichick, where it, when his dog's sitting in his chair, um, you know, so that was kind of a cool picture. Um, the draft, is, uh, you know, went pretty well. I think it was a thing that, you know, production-wise we needed, um, you know, during this kind of rough time. Um, you know, and then the picks, I mean, there wasn't anything – super, you know, astonishing, nothing super crazy as far as, you know, real big reach. I think, um, you know, everybody, you know, di you know, there was no, there was no pick, at least in my opinion that I saw that I was like, wow, they took this guy here, that guy there. Jordan Love to the Packers. Well, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit more, but I mean, Jordan Love to the Packers is only, it, you know, is probably the, the one thing. And, and that's not even one where I, you know, where I necessarily question it, but as, or as far as like, is that's not one where like, Oh, they took, you know, Jacob Eason, you know, 15. I question it. I question it. I question it, but we'll get into it a little bit later. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's probably the most, like the craziest pick from the draft is, is Jordan love. Everything else kind of goes off without a hitch though. I think, I think it was a good draft. I, I you know I was, you know, I think it was a very well done draft and everything like that. Yeah, I agree. I think this was a, a great format for the draft as far as production goes. Honestly, I think it's going to be kind of hard to go back to the old stuff. I, I loved the, getting the insight into um, coaches and uh, front office individuals, their, their home lives, and how they got their families involved. Uh, we learned that Cliff Kingsbury uh, has a house that we all dream we wish we had with complete with a football field in the background. In the backgrounds. And yeah. And then we also are still to this day trying to figure out what exactly was going on behind Mike Vrabel while he was picking for the Tennessee Titans. You have his daughter it looked like she was doing some sort of yoga pose or like namaste yeah, <laughs> sitting on top of a stool. Another kid, another one of his sons in the center behind him wearing a full body spandex suit, including head cover. 
and then his other son to on the far side of the screen with a bleached blonde mullet wearing one of his dad's old all-star jerseys and they were all standing there like they were on guard or something if i could find the picture if we can find that that would i mean to this nobody can figure out what was going on in mike vrabel's house it's it was uh it was rather interesting but and i love the the type of content it gave us for memes and everything as well the start of quarantine you got roger goodell all ready to go for the draft standing in front of his tv Three weeks into quarantine, kicked back in the chair. I mean, if you notice, he had a cup of coffee and a chocolate cupcake. It was a cupcake, a chocolate cupcake sitting next to his cup of coffee that nobody <laughs> pointed out. It, I mean, his that that chair in that basement became such a uh, hit that they decided to auction off um, the a chance to watch a Monday night football game in Roger Goodell's man cave with Roger Goodell and all the re all the funds that it generates um, go toward COVID-19 relief. So that was kind of cool how they, you know, they took something that people were joking about and talking a lot about and they turned it into something good that they're going to use. So I think that, that would be fun. Um, obviously, I, I can't afford to get in on that, but I think that would be a really cool opportunity. Hey, um, let's, let's pull our money. Let's see what we can do. Let's I don't even think we got enough when it comes to that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was a, I think this was one of the deeper drafts that we have seen in a while, um, considering there was a lot of really good talent that went undrafted. I mean, so much so that the Colts probably got one of their future – that got potentially got a kicker of the future. They signed um, Georgia kicker Rodrigo Blankenship, who was probably considered one of the better kickers – in this draft class, I even know there was a few kickers taken ahead of him, obviously, but he had kind of a rough se senior year at Georgia. I was gonna uh, say you're gonna you're gonna hate the reason why Georgia wasn't in contention for uh, possibly playing in the uh, college football playoff because he missed a kick against South Carolina that I think oh, either would have won the game or or not wouldn't have won the game, but I think would have. Uh, I believe he missed two kicks. Yeah. One that would have tied the game, and then one in overtime that would have won the game. Right. So, so yeah. So yeah. So if we're if we're all about you know talking about the missed kicks from last year, you get a you get a kicker who you know that's why his team didn't make it to the college football playoff. That was, like the, that was like some of the only blemishes on his entire career. Oh, oh yeah, they for were, sure. They were pretty big blemishes, it, but still, it, he's one of those guys that felt like he was in college for like nine years. I feel like he was there for so long in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, uh, you know, a great draft and everything like that. So we'll go ahead and take a few looks here. And, we'll, you know, we talked, we said we're going to get to Jordan Love here in a second. Uh, which quarterback is in the best situation? Now, that means right away, um, you know, just as far as that goes. So looking back at the situations, obviously, I think, you know, Jacob Eason makes a run for that. Um, but you know, cause obviously, I mean, yes, I think Joe Burrow is going to have a, um, you know, a great career, but right off the bat, you have the questions of can Cincinnati put a good team around him? Can AJ Green stay healthy? What's the situation at running back? You know, you've got Giovanni Bernard, all that kind of stuff. You, you've got talent around him. Yeah. You, and you've, you've got a lot of talent there. Um, you know, but you know, is it going to be able to pool together and, you know, is it the talent that Joe Burrow is going to you know, be able to thrive with. 
Um, for Tua, you have all the question, you know, he goes to Miami, kind of the same thing as Cincinnati where you kind of wonder what the decision-making process is at, you know, at, you know, at the top end at the administrative level, but at the same time, you also have his injury question marks as well. Um, you know, and so he's going to, you know, probably, yeah, you know, yeah, he may sit a year, but he also maybe get kind of thrown into things there. So, um, you know, you look at the quarterbacks that were drafted, what's the best situation for them? And that's where I bring up Jordan Love. I think that Jordan Love possibly, maybe not in terms of obviously being, you know, the face of the team right away and getting that big money of being drafted one or two, but I think he made off probably the best as far as the developmental standpoint goes um, because he's going to sit behind Aaron Rodgers. I don't, I don't buy into the hype that, you know, now Aaron Rodgers is going to get traded or something's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to mentor Jordan Love, and he's going to likely mentor Jordan Love for a few years. It's going to be at least two, three years before Rodgers even considers retirement, anything like that. I think he even has like four years left on his deal, something like that. So, you know, because he's, uh, what, 36, 37? He's 36 um, years old. I, this can't be a big surprise to him. He was brought in by the Packers around that same time when Brett Favre was 35. Brett Favre was 35 when they brought in Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was 36 when they brought in Jordan Love. Obviously, it worked for them the first time, so why not do it again the second time? Right. So, you know, obviously, you know, that's a fantastic situation for Jordan Love to be in now. Obviously, the thing you, B. Scott, are questioning is why trade up to go get him at 26 because that's what they did. The thing I'm questioning about it is – why do that when you know Aaron Rodgers is getting up there in age and that window of opportunity is closing and the one thing Aaron Rodgers really needs is weapons and at that point in time you had T Higgins on the board you had Michael Pittman on the board you had a full array of running backs on the board you had a lot of different weapons that were available to you still and you draft your quarterback of the future, not only just drafting, but you trade up for him as well. That, that's what's kind of confusing to me is, yeah, I, I, I totally understand, and I love the idea of planning for the future. Don't get me wrong on that one bit. But when you have an opportunity to win now, and these, this is some things that you're missing to win now, and you have a lot of options at that point, I, I don't that that's what confuses me is are you wanting to win now or are you wanting to win in the future that that's my question now they not only didn't draft a wide receiver early on they didn't draft a wide receiver at all I'm pretty sure they got a running back um I know in like the second or third round but yeah I mean and, and that part of it's valid but I do so I guess what I would have an issue with is not necessarily trading up to get Jordan Love but also just not drafting a wide receiver in general because you know there this was a a deep wide receiver class that could have given you and I mean heck even if you're not thinking wide receiver I mean Thaddeus Moss went undrafted so there definitely was talent like that on the board still left even at tight end did they take a tight end anywhere I, I don't know, honestly. I don't. I don't know if they did, but you know, obviously, you know, they didn't. They didn't use a lot of picks to address getting Aaron Rodgers' help. So I can see it from that standpoint. I definitely like. I think obviously, if you think this is your guy, kind of like trading up to get Mahomes, kind of like trading up to get Deshaun Watson. If this is your guy, I know obviously the Texans are a little different because they were in win now mode, but you know, or they were in like build for the future mode. 
But if you have your guy that you want, that you've evaluated, you got to go up and get him because who knows, maybe Jordan Love isn't there at, you know, whenever their next pick was. So that I understand. But, yeah, I, I am with you on the fact that they didn't do anything, anything to address getting talent around Brett, or uh, around uh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, so for me, the way I kind of look at uh, the quarterback in the best situation is the quarterbacks that are kind of in a playing now situation, who's going to perform the best of the ones that are going to be starting come the beginning of this next season. Um, I, I, I still think that's Justin Herbert, mostly because there is there are weapons um, around him in uh, with the Chargers. I, I feel like that team isn't too far removed from making a playoff run. They, they have the capabilities to do that. Um, this past season, they just had some ups and downs. They have a solid defense led by, you know, that's just, a, 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 that's exactly what you want with a young quarterback. Um, I mean, Joe Burrow has the opportunity to, I think if AJ Green can stay healthy, you pair AJ Green with T Higgins. I mean, that's going to be a formidable duo right there. But honestly, I think the quarterback that's set up to succeed the quickest is going to be Justin Herbert. Now, see, that's where I differ from you because I think Justin Herbert needs to be in a situation where he sits right away, and he's going to be in a situation where he's going to be kind of thrown to the wolves right away. So that that's where we differ on that. Um, now, um, looking at um, you know the next question kind of on the board, which pick um, are you the most excited to watch in 2020? Uh, for me, that's C.D. Lamb. Um, I'm very excited to see what C.D. Lamb does just because – of the situation he gets drafted into uh, with the Cowboys. I mean, this is a Cowboys offense um, that is absolutely loaded. Um, so to add CeeDee Lamb to that mix, who had such a great career at Oklahoma, I'm very excited to see what he's able to do when you throw him into that, you know, insane offense. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, as much as I'm excited to watch what the uh, Washington Redskins do on defense, I'm that, I'm that excited to watch um, – the Cowboys on offense this season, because I, I think those are two teams in the NFC East that are trending in the right direction. The Eagles are kind of just neutral. And then the, I don't know what the giants are really doing, but uh, you know uh, those are two teams trending in the right direction. I do uh, like what the Cowboys did a lot. So I'm really excited to watch, uh, you know, CD lamb go out there and perform this year. For me, I'm going with JK Dobbins, the running back out of Ohio state. He got picked up by the Baltimore Ravens. He's going to be that one, two punch with Mark Ingram. Now, these guys, I mean, that's going to be a heck of a one-two punch, in my opinion. This is a potential kind of like a Jonathan Taylor to the Colts. I'm interested in watching him, really. I mean, I wanted to pick away from the Colts, but honestly, he's probably the one I'm most interested in watching play behind that offensive line. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be – that could be fun. That could be a lot of fun. But if you're picking away from the Colts, i got to go with J.K. Dobbins. Um, having a potential of a the, – the RPO – potential for um the Baltimore Ravens is through the roof with J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson I I think that's going to be an offense that is going to be having uh opposing defensive coordinators losing sleep trying to game plan for them yeah it's definitely going to be fun to watch now before we get into kind of the final thing here to wrap up which is we're going to give our uh predictions for offensive and, and defensive rookie of the year um lsu did they 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 did have 14 players drafted right they tied the record from ohio state yeah they tied the record um one of the things about lsu is every player that was draft eligible either was drafted 
or signed as an undrafted free agent. I got so that's it. impressive. I mean, that's really, really impressive. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and so the question, their long snapper, their long snapper was drafted. Hey, that's when you know you were doing something right. You had an incredible season. Your long snapper, uh, you know, did enough to get drafted. And the, um, the reaction for him getting drafted was priceless. They said, okay, what does everybody have on this guy? Uh, the, I forget the guy's name, Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network. He said, I'm going to be honest. I have nothing on him. <laughs> I, 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 in my draft prep, I don't look at and examine the film of long snappers. So he looks like he's pretty good. I, I trust him, but I have nothing on him. And I'm not going to say anything. That's awesome. Um, so this obviously isn't, you know, following up what Ohio state did in 2004. So the question is, I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on a draft class from one school because that obviously that draft class for Ohio state, Vince Wilfork, Michael Jenkins, all these great players. Wilford was not in that draft class. We're not from Ohio state. He was from Miami. Are you sure? Oh Vince yeah. He was played for Miami. Okay. But there was, there was a defensive tackle. I thought for some reason I thought it was Vince Wilfork. Will Smith. Will Smith, that's who it was. I was like, I knew it was a, a defensive tackle. That I mean, obviously, he ended up having a great career. So, um, is there any chance uh, that – I mean, because obviously that's a lot of pressure. Is there any chance that, you know, this draft class is just as memorable? Because you have Joe Burrow. That's what alone is going to kind of give it that extra heads up because I think that year for Ohio State, the quarterback, that he did get drafted, but it was Craig Krenzel um, who didn't ultimately do – um, no, Craig Krenzel was the national championship quarterback. Right, but he was still there. No, he was a senior, I believe. They want the—he uh, was gone by then. Are you sure? Are you gonna make yeah. it? Are you gonna make me look it up, B. Scott? Because I'll look it up. I'm pretty sure Craig Krenzel was gone. Maybe I'm probably wrong. But you know um, what? I, I think this LSU draft class does have the capability because of where some of these guys landed. I mean, look. Clyde Edwards-Alaire landing at 32 with the – obviously, I was wrong uh, because <laughs> this bump right there. Yes. But, Craig Krenzel was on the roster. Vindication. <laughs> but, you know, with guys like Craig, uh, with Clyde Edwards-Alaire ending up with the Kansas City Chiefs that are going to use him in a numerous amount of ways, uh, Justin Jefferson, I mean, these – there's just a lot of players that – landed in really good situations and if Joe Burrow plays up to his potential this has the potential of being uh, one of the best draft classes uh, from a school in history right up there with that Ohio State draft class yeah so going back they, they do have the they do have the potential uh, in my opinion to uh to be a really memorable one yeah it's it's big shoes to fill for sure. Cause, and by the way, the reason why I was so sure that it was Craig, Ken Craig Krenzel is because I remember seeing that last week when we looked it up and being like, Oh yeah, he was the guy that was there for the national championships. So yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is a big, I mean, this, I mean, you talk about special teams, the long snapper we're getting drafted for LSU, the, the kicker and the punter for that Ohio state team were both drafted to Mike Nugent and BJ Sander. You have Ben Hartstock, uh, Nick Mangold, uh, uh, AJ Hawk, uh, San Antonio Holmes was on that team, just didn't get drafted that year. So, um, obviously, you know, you know, memorable team there. So yeah, obviously it's big shoes to fill, but then you also have the guys that didn't even get drafted like the Thaddeus Mosses and things like that. So, um, you know, that LSU team had obviously a great season. And so it'll be interesting to see what this draft class can do, 
um, you know, transitioning over to the NFL. But before we wrap up here, let's go ahead and give our predictions for offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Uh, for me, offensive rookie of the year is going to be CD Lamb. I think he puts up really great numbers in that Dallas Cowboy offense. I mean, across from him is going to be Amari Cooper. You've got Zeke Elliott. You've got Dak Prescott, who's going to be in kind of a prove it, let's you know go kind of year. He's going to be, you know, it's a new coach and Mike McCarthy. Um, this offense uh, looks really dangerous. Um, and the defense is, you know, maybe not the greatest, but is definitely still like on par, um, you know, to have a great season. So this Cowboys team as a whole is going to be a good team. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, CD Lamb is really going to thrive on offense with this team. He's going to be a big, you know, target out there. And the Cowboys have a lot of weapons out there too. So this offense is going to be really fun to watch. Um, and I think CD Lamb really thrives in it um, and puts up some big numbers. So I've got CD Lamb winning offensive rookie of the year. Uh, for me, I'm actually going to go with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, hey, I'm going with him to win the Heisman yeah. and all sorts of things. Come full circle. And, and honestly, in all honesty, he's going to be a contributor from day one for the Indianapolis Colts. And running behind the Colts offensive line is just going to uh, pave the way for pay dirt for him, in my opinion. He's one of those guys that once he gets to the second level, he's going to be he's really hard to catch. A lot like an Ezekiel Elliott. I think he has a rookie season a lot like Zeke did, uh, where he comes out and really catches a lot of people off guard because I mean, line him up behind Quentin Nelson and he's going to get to the second level and he's going to be gone. And um, the fact that he's not going to be required to be an every down back for the Colts is going to keep him fresh. And I, I think that those two, can, those two factors right there are going to be what help lead him to being the offensive rookie of the year. Now, for Defensive Rookie of the Year, um, I alluded to it um, last week, you know, in Hot and Cold. Uh, for me, it's going to be Chase Young. Uh, Chase Young is an absolute monster. Obviously, he's coming uh, in the footsteps of Nick Bosa, who won it last year, who also came from Ohio State. Um, you have, you know, he was, I, you know, for a while there, he was talked about as being in contention for the Heisman. And as we know, you know, defensive players usually are kept kind of, you know, off to the side here when you're talking about Heisman, um, you know, consideration. So for a defensive player to break through, I mean, like I said last week, I think it's been since Indomit and Sue that we've seen uh, a defensive player get considered. So the fact that, you know, he was there, um, you know, and, and in consideration is really key and really big. Um, I'm really excited. You've got Riverboat Ron calling the shots over there uh, in Washington, um, which, you know, that defense on its own, you've got Jonathan Allen, you've got Montez Sweat, you've got all, you know, Ryan Kerrigan now is going to not get double teamed as much because he's, you know, because, you know, he's not the only guy on defense that you have to worry about. So that defense for Washington is going to be very dangerous. I think obviously Washington's probably going to win, you know, if, if they if they play if a full season is played, I don't see them winning more than five or six games. But at the same time, that defense is going to be very dangerous. That's what's going to kind of, you know, be the thing moving forward for them. And I'm really excited to see what they do. So Chase Young for me uh, is defensive rookie of the year this this year. Yeah, I even said that last week too. I got Chase Young winning it just mostly because of the division that he plays in. Remember, he's going to get to play the Eagles twice. He's going to get to play the Giants twice, and um, I just think he's 
because of those types of things, he's going to have a big season. And it's not like he's going on to a team that doesn't have any other defensive linemen or defensive threats where he's going to be keyed on every single play. I mean, they have other guys that um, teams are going to have to worry about as well. So he's not going to be double, triple team all game long. He's going to get his, he's going to get his, his stats and he's going to put up a lot of stats. I mean, it's, it's very similar to the Bosa's in the past couple of years as well. So I think this is one you might as well, uh, you, you pencil in Chase Young barring injury, but this is his uh, defensive rookie award to lose. Well, that will do it for this week's edition of the Crash Course Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed. Remember, you can follow at Crash Course FM on Twitter, uh, Crash Course Podcast uh, on Facebook. Again, this will be the link to the podcast and the YouTube uh, video will be released on my YouTube or my Facebook or excuse me, my Instagram, Craig Crash on Instagram. Um, also, uh, Craig Crash, uh, uh, Craig Collins on YouTube. So if you guys want to check it out that way, obviously. Um, it will also, it will be a Facebook live premiere. Um, you know, so, uh, it'll be a lot of fun there. So that's what we are going to do it from now on. So if you guys want to, obviously you guys are watching this, or you're either watching the premiere now, or you're finding out about it now. So that's how it's going to be in the future. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, also, um, you know, you know, you can hear, you can go to anchor.fm slash crash course. That's our main you know, place for the podcast. We can also hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts can be heard. You can find the Crash Course Podcast. And B. Scott, where can they find you? You can always find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Scott 87 or uh, look me up, uh, BM Scott 1287 on Instagram. So again, that will do it for this week. We're actually going to take a two week break. Uh, we will be back in three weeks to talk anything and everything sports. But until then, Have a good week, everybody.